The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. So, thank you for being here tonight. Take your Bibles with me. Let's go to Joshua chapter 14. I'm going to preach a message to you tonight. And the title of the message is, I Want That Mountain. And this comes from uh, uh, the scriptures. It was a a statement made by Caleb. Uh, And we're going to look at a little bit about Caleb tonight. We're going to look at his attitude. We're going to look at uh, his character. uh, From what little bit we do know from the scripture. And uh, I want to be an encouragement tonight, if I can be. This morning, I, I, I kind of, um, I, I kind of uh, burst a few bubbles, I think. And uh, but you know, preaching is designed to make us think. It's, it's supposed to cause us to look at our hearts and look at our lives. And and of course, uh, we need to always remember when we come into preaching, um, we're not perfect. And as I said this morning. When every one of us who came here this morning, something in our life was broken. Something wasn't what it needs to be. Uh, that's obvious. It's evident. We, 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 we need to just put our pride away and understand and realize that in some degree of our life, we all fail. We all come short. But uh, we can fix it with Christ. And uh, we saw that today. And I hope it was a blessing to you this morning. Uh, and tonight we're going to preach... From Joshua chapter 14, I'm going to read beginning in verse 16, you can, uh, I'm sorry, verse 6, you can remain seated. Uh, Joshua chapter 14, beginning at verse number 6. We read, Then the children of Judah came unto Joshua in Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said unto him, Thou knowest the thing that the Lord said unto Moses, the man of God, concerning me and thee in Kadesh Barnea. Forty years old was I when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to espy out the land, and I brought him word again, and as it was in mine heart. Nevertheless, my brethren that went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. I love that statement by Caleb there, I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land whereon thy feet have trodden shall be thine inheritance and thy children's forever, because thou hast wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord hath kept me alive, as he said, these forty and five years, even since the Lord spake this word unto Moses, while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now, lo, I am this day fourscore and five years old. Uh, if you do the math, that means he was 85 years old. Caleb is 85 years old. Verse 11. As yet, I am as strong this day as I was in the day that Moses sent me. As my strength was then, even so is my strength now for war, both to go out and to come in. Now, therefore, give me this mountain whereof the Lord spake in that day. For thou heardest in that day how the Anakins uh, were there, and that the cities were great and fenced. If so be the Lord will be with me, 
then I shall be able to drive them out, as the Lord said. And Joshua blessed him, and gave unto Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, Hebron, for an inheritance. Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenazite, unto this day, because that he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. And the name of Hebron before was Kirjath Arba, which Arba was a great man among the Anakims, and the land had rest from war. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, which we are able to study, which we are able to read, and Father, which we are able to obey. I pray now that you would speak to our hearts tonight and encourage us and strengthen us as we look at this man, your servant, Caleb, and look at his character and look at his, his willingness and his eagerness to, to wholly follow you. Bless us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, turn with me now, if you would, to Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13, and we're going to uh, read just a few verses here. Beginning at verse number 1, we read, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Send thou men, that they may search the land of Canaan, which I give unto the children of Israel. Of every tribe of their fathers shall ye send a man, every one a ruler among them. Now, let me just stop here and interject. God did not need Moses to send men into Canaan to spy the land. The Lord was fully aware of what was there. And he, was, he fully intended to give the land to Israel. He, so he didn't need to spy the land. God didn't need to send men out to bring a report. This was done because of the, because of the failure in the hearts of the men of Israel who didn't want to go in, didn't want to just blindly trust the Lord and just go. They, they wanted to send men in there to spy out the land. So God said, all right, go ahead and do it. Um, verse 3, And Moses, by the commandment of the Lord, sent them from the wilderness of Paran. All those men were heads of the children of Israel. And these were their names of the tribe of Reuben, Shemua, the son of Zachar, of the tribe of Simeon, Shaphat, the son of Hori, of the tribe of Judah, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, of the tribe of Issachar, Igal, the son of Joseph, of the tribe of Ephraim, Oshea, the son of Nun. This Oshea, by the way, is Joshua. Of the tribe of Benjamin, uh, Palti, the son of Raphu. Of the tribe of Zebulun, Gadiel, the son of Sordi. Of the tribe of Joseph, uh, namely of the tribe of Manasseh, Gadai, the son of Susi. Of the tribe of Dan, Amiel, the son of Gamali. Of the tribe of Asher, Sether, uh, the son of Michael. Of the tribe of Naphtali, uh, Nabai, the son of Vosai. Of the tribe of Gad, Guel, the son of Mekai. These are the names of the men which Moses sent to spy the land. And Moses called Oshea, the son of, Nash, of Nun, Jehoshua. Now let's turn to verse 27. Uh, the men have now gone and spied the land, and they've come back. So in verse 27, we read, um, 
And they told him and said, We came unto the land uh, whither thou sentest us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. Uh, the Amalekites dwell in the, land, in, in the land of the south, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. And all of this, by the way, they said to dishearten the people, because they didn't believe that they were able to go in and possess this land because of the, of the many people that were there. Verse 30, And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men that went up with him said, We be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof, and all the people that we saw in it are men of a great stature. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come, uh, which come of the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. And these men of Anak, which they're speaking of, by the way, is the family which yielded Goliath. Twelve men left the camp of Israel and went into the promised land. Their purpose was to spy out the land and its inhabitants. Ten of these men went and looked upon the land and returned with an evil and discouraging report. They said that the inhabitants of the lands were giants and were too strong for their armies to defeat. They said that the cities were walled and too well fortified for the army of Israel to conquer. These ten spies epitomize the, what I will call, naysayer segments of our churches today. These are the cannot-do Christians. These are not content to keep the, I'm sorry, these are content to keep things just the way they are. They are content to wander in the wilderness. They are content to avoid the conflicts associated with possessing the promises of God, the conflicts associated with doing the will of God. But two of these men saw something completely different from the other ten. They saw the same walled cities, but did not see them as unconquerable. They saw the same giants, but did not see them as undefeatable. They looked beyond the obstacles, and they saw the goodness of the land. They did not have a cannot attitude. They had a can-do attitude. They did not consider what they and the power of their flesh could not do, but rather they looked through eyes of faith. They looked beyond the obstacles and saw what God could do. In fact, they saw what God would do according to his promises. Remember in Joshua chapter 1 and verse 9, the Lord says, Have not I commanded thee? 
Be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. This is the same attitude David had. While all of the men of Israel hid in their tents and hid behind rocks from the giant Goliath, what did David do? David went down there and faced him with a staff, a sling, and five smooth stones. David didn't look at the giant. He saw the giant that was his God. And David knew that if God be for him, who can be against him? And Caleb didn't see these, these giants in the land as a problem. Uh, Joshua didn't see these walled cities as, as a problem. For they knew that God was greater than all of these things. And let me say tonight to all of us here that, yes, we can. You need to have the, a, a we can attitude when it comes to our Christian lives. We can live holy lives in the face of a wicked world tonight. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 16, Peter states, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Yes, tonight, we can live holy lives. We've been empowered. We've been given by God the power to be holy. The power to overcome sin. The power to say no. I've said it many times. Be not deceived. We don't sin because we have to. If you are a child of God tonight, you don't live under the bondage of sin. We don't sin because we have to. We sin because we want to. We can live holy lives. I can be holy. But I can only be holy because God is holy. It is not guardrails or standards or rules that keep me from sin. It is God that has given me the power to conquer sin. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4 states, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. We can raise spiritual children in the midst of an adulterous generation. So often I hear young parents come to me and say, How, What can we do? How can we possibly raise our children in this day and age to, to fear and honor God. Well, we can. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 7 states, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou, li thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Oh yes, we can raise spiritual children if we teach them God's word. But more than just teaching them God's word, 
Teach them God's word in truth and power. Teach them God's word by being a living example yourself. Staying true and faithful to doctrinal truth. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead and his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. We can accomplish the work of the ministry despite the depravity of our world tonight. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul writes, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, Make full proof of thy ministry. You see, men want to be lied to. They want to be fed a bill of goods. If that were true, the false teachers in this world wouldn't have such large churches, now would they? They, they, they fill huge buildings and, and auditoriums. I, my brother lives in Sugarland, Texas, which is... Uh, just about five miles up the street from uh, one of the largest uh, churches, Joel Olstein's church. I've actually driven right by Joel Olstein's building. My brother pointed it out to me. A huge, huge building. Isn't it amazing how many men will go and pay to be told a lie? Men don't want to hear the truth. People don't want to hear things like I said this morning. They don't want to be told that they that they that they at times they're critics. They don't want to be told that at times they 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 seek uh, what God can do for them for their own lustful use. They don't want to hear those things. They want to be they want teachers that have itching ears that are listening to what they want to hear, and He'll tell them what what they want to hear. But Paul says that's not the way that we are to preach. We're to preach truth. Whether men receive it or not is not my problem. My responsibility tonight is not to preach something that you're going to like. It's to preach something that God is going to like. And you are to receive it in the manner in which it's given. Oh, we can accomplish the work of the ministry despite the depravity of this world tonight. Christ, through his example, showed us that we can accomplish all that God has given us to do. Paul reminds us in Philippians chapter 2 when he says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Christ, through his own example, showed us that we can accomplish all that God has given us to do. Paul also demonstrates that we can do God's will and work in this dark world. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul states, For I am now ready to be offered, 
and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Oh yes, we can. We can do all the things that God has called us to do. And I feel sorry tonight for those ten spies. Because they needed the things that can be seen and felt with their eyes before they would enter into the promised land. They weren't willing to trust the Lord. They weren't willing to step out in faith. They weren't willing to go across the Jordan River into the promised land until they had tangible things they could see. But Joshua and Caleb, they didn't need all these things. They just needed one thing. That was God. That's all they needed. And this brings me to the point of my message tonight. Let's look again at Joshua chapter 14, if you will. Hopefully you kept your marker there. Joshua chapter 14 and verse 12. We read here, Now therefore give me this mountain, whereof the Lord spake in that day. Caleb says, give me that mountain. I want that mountain. I want to make three observations from the life of Caleb tonight, and I'll be done. First, number one, I want us to see that Caleb was elected to serve. And by elected, I mean he was chosen. Caleb was elected to serve. We read it a moment ago in Joshua chapter 14. Verses 6 and 7, Then the children of Judah came unto Joshua and Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenazite, said unto him, Thou knowest the thing that the Lord said unto Moses, the man of God, concerning me and thee in Kadesh Barnea. Forty years old was I when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to espy out the land. Moses commanded that one man from each tribe be chosen to go into the, into the land and, and search it out. And Caleb was one of those chosen men. He was chosen. He, he was elected by his family. He, he was chosen. He was elected by Moses to go and, and search out the land. Now, virtually in Scripture, there is nothing told us of the life or the character of Caleb. We, we see him briefly in Numbers when he was sent forth to spy out the land. Uh, and we see him briefly here in Joshua when he has come to Joshua and said, I want that mountain. But other than that, we don't, we don't really have anything about Caleb in, in the Bible. So we have to be careful not to read anything into what we do have. We do not have evidence that Caleb was a mighty man. The only thing we know is, as he stated, he's 85 and he's still just as strong as when he was 40. I wish I could say that. I'm 57, going on 58, and I'm not as strong as I was when I was 40. But we, we don't know that he was a mighty man. We don't know that he was a man of great stature. We don't know that he was a prominent man or, or even a noble man. We're told nothing of him before his calling. 
and very little of him after his calling. Yet, he was, he was selected out of all the people in his tribe to go and search out the land. Now, for me to assume that Caleb deserved to be chosen, for me to assume that he earned the right to be chosen, this would be a typical assumption associated with human nature, right? We, I mean, human nature would tell us, well, Caleb must have been worthy. He must have deserved it if he was chosen, right? I mean, that's, that's what human nature would say. But I cannot make that assumption, for the scriptures do not support this. And such it is with you and me tonight. We were chosen, were we not? We were called. We were elected by God and we were saved, but did we deserve it? Did we, are, we, are we worthy of that calling? No, we're not. As we sit here tonight with the knowledge that we are saved, God has elected us and chosen us from the generations of men. It would be foolishness for us to become proud and assume that God chose us because we deserved it or merited it in any way. I don't know why God chose me. I don't know why. I, if I've said this before. If I were making the choice, I wouldn't choose someone like me. But God did. And, and you know what? I'm not going to sit here and debate it. I'm just going to rejoice and thank him that he did. I'm going to appreciate the fact that I'm saved tonight. And I'm going to spend my life devoted to the God that saved me. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 6, it reminds, the Bible tells us, For when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 we read, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We know and understand that none of us could be good in the sight of God, and that there is nothing but evil in our flesh and in our heart. For Romans chapter 3 tells us, as it is written, There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. I didn't go seeking God. I didn't go hunting for God. He came and sought me out. You could all come up here one by one and give your salvation testimony and we would see how God sought you out. What did Jesus say? He came to what? Seek and to save. He didn't, come, he didn't say he came to save those that are seeking, because none seek. He came to seek out and to save his children. Romans seven eighteen. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, Paul says, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. In Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5 we read, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And by the way, that was in Genesis chapter 6, but do you think things are any, any different today? No. 
Man is just as wicked as he was then. He's just as evil as he was then. No more, but no less. Oh yes, just like Caleb, we have been elected to serve. We have been chosen by God, and we have been sent to serve. It is important for us to understand that God has called us to serve him. He has not called us to be served by him. In Matthew chapter 10, I was going to have you turn to it, but to save a little time, let me just read it. In uh, Matthew chapter 10, if you want to turn to it, you can. If you can turn to it quickly, verses 42, beginning at verse 42, we read here, But Jesus called them to him and saith unto them, Ye know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them. But so shall it not be among you. But whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister. And whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be the servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be punished, not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. You see, so many churches have it backwards today. The pastor thinks he's a little God. And he thinks that he's just to stand there while everyone else waits on him and and does things for him. And it's the exact opposite. If you're going to be a minister of Christ, then you're going to have to be like Christ. And we know that Christ came to serve, not to be served. And we ourselves have been called to serve, not to be served. Just as the as the uh, Israelites were in, in Joshua's day, we must go in and conquer the land that God has given us. He is not just going to hand it over to us. He's, we must go forth in faith, and we must battle, and we must conquer that land. Caleb wanted that mountain. God has called him and sent him on a mission, and nothing or no one is going to keep him down. I want that mountain. There's a song we we sing. uh, I want that mountain. I want that mountain. Where the milk and honey flow. And the grapes of Eshkul grow. I want that mountain. I want that mountain. That mountain that the Lord has given me. What about us tonight? Can we say that? Do we want the promised land? Do we want the blessings? Do we want all the things that God has given to us? Well, then go out and get them. They're there waiting for you to go and get them. Caleb was elected to serve. But then tonight, secondly, I want us to observe that Caleb was eager to submit. Back in Joshua chapter 14, verses 7 and 8. Joshua states, Forty years old was I when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to espy out the land, and I brought him word again as it was in mine heart. Nevertheless, my brethren that went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. Now, don't miss this. Caleb was eager to get his feet into Canaan. He wanted to get busy and possessed on Caleb wanted to go in right away. Remember we read that a few moments ago in, in, in Numbers chapter 16, 13. Caleb said, let's go. Let's go and let's go get it. God's with us. We, we can conquer these people. Let's go get it now. He was eager. He was ready. He, he wanted to get in there and, 
And he wanted to do the will of God. And he wanted to do what God wanted him to do. In, in Numbers 13.30, he said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. How could he say that? How could Caleb say we are well able to overcome it? I mean, think about, think about Jericho. It was a, the walls of Jericho were huge. And God gave them such a great battle plan, didn't he? He said every morning for seven days, everybody gets up. Everybody. Women, children, everyone. And march around the city one time. Then when you're done, go home. Seven days. And then on, and, and then on the seventh day, you go around the city seven times. And after the seventh time, you shout. And the walls are going to fall down. That's quite a battle plan, isn't it? You imagine the people of Jericho? Here they come. Oh, here they come. They were probably cowering over the wall. Oh, here, here they come. Look at them. Oh, they're coming. And they walked around the city and they went home. I guarantee you by the seventh day, the wall was lined with... People from Jericho laughing and mocking and making fun of the Jews as they walked around the city. It became a great spectacle. But can you imagine their eyes when the people stopped and shouted and the walls fell down flat? And they were annihilated by God and his people. Oh, don't ever doubt God's power. Don't ever doubt that God will bring to pass what he has said he will bring to pass. I like Caleb's attitude. He says, what are we waiting for? God has given it to us, so let's go get it. And I ask you the same thing tonight. What are we waiting for in America? You know, it's said that, it's said that 90% of the people on earth believe in God then why are we letting the 10% that don't control everything? It's kind of, kind of silly, don't you think? Okay, I like Caleb's attitude. He said, let's go get it. God, give us some men and women tonight, some teenagers, some children of faith, who say, if God be for us, who can be against us? People who say, nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. People who, as in Nehemiah's day, held a sword in one hand and the trowel in the other as they built the wall of God. Far too many today are either afraid or just too plain lazy to obey God. They make excuses as to why they can't do it. Just like they made excuses in Jesus' day. Jesus tells a story in Luke chapter 14. He says, Then said he unto him, A certain man made a great supper and bade many. And sent his servants at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. Another said, I pray thee have me, or he said, I pray thee have the excuse. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. Now, he's the only one that had a legitimate reason not to go. <laughs> I married a wife. I can't play anymore. 
My grandpa used to tell me that an excuse was nothing more than a good sounding reason wrapped up inside of a lie. Don't make excuses. We make excuses for everything. Don't make excuses to quit. Make plans to succeed. Don't be a part of the problem. Be a part of the solution. Come to the pastor and say, what can I do to help? What can I do to further the work of, of, of the church? What can I do to, to be a blessing to the people of, of, our, of our church? Listen, let me just say, when you know what to do, get busy and do it. Don't delay doing it. James uh, chapter 4 and verse 17 says, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not to him, it is sin. If God convicted you, as he, as he placed it in your heart to do something for him, then quit making excuses and do it. He told the people, the land's yours, go get it, and they didn't go. They disobeyed him, and for that, for that, they wandered in the wilderness 40 years. They died off, as a matter of fact. Everyone above the age of 20 died and did not see the promised land. Get busy and obey the Lord today. Let us be like Caleb, eager to submit and get the job done. Caleb didn't want to waste those 40 years in the wilderness. He was ready to go in and possess the land by faith on that very day. He was prepared to trust the Lord and do what he was called to do. He understood the biblical principle uh, that we find in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13, which states, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Anything God has asked you to do, anything God has called you to do, you can do in the power and strength of Christ. So we see that Caleb was elected to serve. He, He was eager to submit. But then lastly tonight, We see that Caleb was expectant of his success. Look back at Joshua chapter 14 with me. The last time we'll turn there. Joshua chapter 14 and look at verse 9. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land whereon thy feet have trodden shall be thine inheritance and thy children's forever, because thou hast wholly followed The Lord my God. And I can tell you, I can guarantee you today. There are still descendants of Caleb living in Hebron. Because God does not lie. Verse 10. And now behold the Lord hath kept me alive and hath said these forty and five years. Even since the Lord spake this word unto Moses. While the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness, and now, lo, I am this day fourscore and five years old, and yet I am as strong as I was the day I left, and all these other things. Moses made a promise to Caleb. He promised him that he would possess the portion of land that he spied out. And this would be because of his faithfulness to God. Caleb believed this, and he expected To receive this inheritance. Imagine what it must have been like for Caleb. Watching everyone he knew 20 years old and older dying off all around him. The day came when it was only he and Joshua left. No others remained. Yet he still didn't give up hope. He lived each day knowing that one day he would receive that which had been promised 
to him. God, give us people of faith again. People who believe the promises of God. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 4, we, we read, Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And don't miss this. I like the method by which Caleb gained this inheritance. In, in chapter 14, verse 6, Then the children of Judah came unto Joshua and Gilgal, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh the Kenazite said unto him, Thou knowest the thing that the Lord said unto Moses, the man of God, concerning me and thee in Kadesh Barnea. Caleb came to God's man and submitted himself unto his authority. He didn't just go and set up camp and stake his claim. Notice, Caleb, Caleb didn't bypass Joshua. He didn't just say, well, I tell you what, I'm not, I, I don't know if Joshua is a man of his word or not. I don't know if he's going to honor that commitment or not. So I'm just going to go over there and I'm just going to take it myself. He didn't do that. He had enough faith in God to trust the leader that God had given him. To trust that Joshua would honor the commitment of Moses and give Caleb his inheritance. I grow weary tonight of Christians who want to do their own thing. God deliver us from people who have the attitude of, let's say, no one's going to tell me what I can and can't do. Let me tell you, if that's your attitude, then your, heart, your heart's not right with God. The Bible tells us to, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Now listen, I'm not standing here tonight and say that we should be like every other cultist in the world and just blindly trust what another man says. Every time the pastor preaches, I have my Bible open. Amen? And I love my pastor. And I trust him. But he's a man. And as a man, he's subject to the like passions of men. And I guarantee the pastor will stand here himself and tell you, don't you just blindly trust me. You prove me. And by the way, God says the same thing. God says, prove me now herewith. God's not afraid of you proving him. God's not afraid of you testing him. He wants you to do it. God wants you to test him. But Caleb had enough respect for Joshua that he came to Joshua and said, Joshua, you, you know, you know what God told Moses. You were there when Moses made that promise to me. Now, therefore, he said, give me that mountain. He was expectant of his success. Caleb claimed his inheritance the right way, and so should we. As the children of God. Let us learn, learn to live expectant. First of all of the riches that accompany stewardship. Matthew 6.33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Trust God to provide your needs. Stop acting like the world. And fretting and worrying over the things. That God has already promised to give you. 
I see people all the time doing exactly what Elimelech did. Leaving the will of God to pursue happiness somewhere else and all that happens is there's desolation and and destruction. Just learn to trust God for your provisions and live for God where you are. If God wants you somewhere else, he'll bring you there. But while you're waiting for your traveling orders, get busy. Serve the Lord where you are. Trust God. Learn to live expectant next of the rewards of service. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8. Paul said, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not, so, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Be expectant of the rewards of the service that you've done. Now, it's, while it's true that when we all stand before Christ, we'll cast the crowns that we're given at his feet because we're unworthy. Still, he wants you to expect them. He's promised them to you. He is going to reward you for your service. And we should live expectant of that. And then learn to live expectant, lastly, of the return of our Savior. Luke chapter 12 and verse 40. Be ye therefore ready also, for the Son of Man cometh at an hour when ye think not. Now, as I grow older, I'm more and more expectant of the coming of the Lord. I, matter of fact, I, I pray for it, I look for it. But I'm afraid that there's a lot of people tonight claiming to be God's children that are not looking for his return. That really, unfortunately, in, in, in the state of our, in the spiritual state of our country, a lot of them, I don't think, even really know he's coming back. But we're to live our lives expectant of, of the return of the Lord. Expectant that at any time we'll hear the trump of, 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 of the Lord in the clouds and we'll be gathered together with the Lord and, and forever be with him. Live our lives expectant of that. Listen, for 45 years Caleb expected that mountain to be his. He got up every day and I'm sure probably way off in the distance he would look and he'd say, there's my mountain. That's mine. And I'm going to have that one day. And you know, I can stand here today and I can look toward heaven and I can say, there's my home. My mansion is there. I will live there for all eternity. Maybe tomorrow, maybe a year from now, but sure is, surely for sure I'm going to be there. We can live expectant of these things. Now therefore, Caleb said, give me this mountain. Do you want that mountain tonight? That mountain that the Lord has given you? Caleb was elected to serve and serve he did. He was eager to submit and he wholly followed his Lord. He was expectant of his success and he lived to see God's will done in his life. Are you prepared as Caleb was to trust God? To fight for and conquer the enemies that stand between you and your inheritance. Or are you content, as the other ten spies were, 
to wander in the wilderness until you go the way of all men and go to the grave, never having gained the promises of God nor seen his mighty hand at work. Let us, let us be like Caleb tonight and every day. Let us learn to live expectant of the blessings of God, expectant of the promises of God. I don't know about you tonight, but I want that mountain. I want that mountain where the milk and honey flow and the grapes of Eshkel grow. I want that mountain. I want that mountain. The mountain that the Lord has given me. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. You've given us so much. Even if we have nothing, you've given us more than we deserve when you gave us Christ. And Lord, you... You promised us this mountain. You promised us a home in heaven. You promised us our provisions on this earth. And you promised us that you would watch over us and that your will would be done in our lives. And, and so, Father, we can live our life fully expectant of that. We don't, have to, we don't have to succumb to this world. We don't have to give in to the, to the wickedness. And Lord, we can live our lives to your glory and to your honor because you have promised us all these things. And we know and we have confidence to know that you keep your word. And as unworthy as we are and as undeserving as we are, we know that you will, you will honor every promise you've made to us. So Lord, help us to, as Caleb did, help us to wholly follow you. Help us to love you, to obey you, to serve you. To glorify you by all that we do. As we leave here tonight, help us to have faith and confidence. Help us to strive in every moment of our lives, in every day, and in every way to honor you. Bless us now as we dismiss from this place tonight. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.